As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, hey. You're listening to the Tom Pickens Show on WNHHLP, 3.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, good morning, everyone, and good morning, Harry. Good morning to you, our station manager, and let's send out some nice vibes to Harry because he's going to undergo some knee repair, which is really just a sign of uh, longevity. I mean, we hear about these knee surgeries and hip surgeries and and uh, people actually actually dying, so... Whenever you go to the hospital, it's a good thing to get quality quality service, good quality attention, and, and I'm sure Harry will receive that. But let's send out some nice vibes to him. Um, I, I mentioned the the hospital medical situation because we're really blessed this morning to have um, Jess Williams with us. Uh, Jess is a nurse, and you're going to hear more about her, and we're going to have a chance to kind of hear her story. Uh, and even if she was not a nurse, I'm sure she's she would have made a difference on this planet. But she's making a difference on this planet through the nursing profession. But we're going to hear a little bit about her in the context of her and her family and her commitment and her her love for the for really the healing profession. And I'm really joined, uh, and it's always a pleasure to have Reverend Dr. Leroy O. Perry with with me, uh, pastor of Saint Saint Stephen's AME Zion Church in in uh, outside the New Haven area, and Reverend Alvin Clayton, Pastor Walter's Memorial AME Zion Church in the, in the Bridgeport area. Still here in Connecticut, our small little state, but the, this small little state has a lot going on, and uh, it, it, it's important for folks to kind of know our, our commitment and our, our passions and our, our purpose uh, as a radio show, as a, something called, you'll hear more about the cultural ambassadors, Reverend Perry will talk about that. And why the telling our story theme for this particular show is so important. There's so many false narratives on the on the planet at the moment in terms of who's running for what, whatever office and who's gotten arrested. But the people story, I think, is the most profound news that we can share. And 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 Jess Williams is going to share some of her her people story, and that's really really important. As as I mentioned, nursing. Who knows? I mean, everybody knows the the importance of patient care and Oh, educating families about uh, surgeries, et cetera, and even research and administration. So nurses do so much. And it's a pleasure to have uh, Jess Williams, as I mentioned, um, on the show this morning. We have about 45 minutes, 45, 48 minutes, so we can kind of take our time and kind of take the deep dive in terms of uh, hearing from Jess and, and just hearing about what's what's important to us th- these days in terms of healthcare and health equity. Um, I wanted to ask Reverend uh, Perry to kind of share the objective of the Telling our story series because it's really, uh, as I say, profound from my standpoint, and not not only profound but, but meaningful. Reverend Perry, good morning, and uh, provide with us a little context, if you would. Good morning, Tom, and good morning, Jess and Reverend Clayton. Um, the purpose behind this show was exposure. We have we we have been in a in a, a battle to make medicine look more like the people it serves or the people that it needs to serve. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things in order for us to change the face of medicine, we have to encourage people uh, and to let people know that there are opportunities for people of color. I mean, growing up, we no one ever told us we could be doctors or nurses. We were always taught we could be laborers or field workers or anything but professionals. And so by having this show, we can expose to the world how far we've come and how far we need to go. And so, uh, Jess, we're so happy to have you here because you're the new face of what medicine can look like uh, today and, and in the future. And we're hoping that young people who watch the show 
will be inspired by your story and your journey and, and be inclined to, you know, risk and, and struggle and mm. do whatever it takes to get to be where you are right now. And that's, and so I, I tip my hat to you. I uh, tip my hat to your mom. I know her. We all grew up on the same street. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm just happy that you could be with us on the show to share your story. Thank you. Jess, the, the mic has been, has been passed to you. <laughs> All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, as they said, my name is Jessica Williams, but most people call me Jess. Um, I was born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, I'm one of two daughters. I'm the oldest, of course, the best. Um, my mom was a public school teacher, so she was very big on education and making sure that my sister and I participated in everything, took every art class we could take. Um, you know, so we try our best to excel for, on her behalf to make mm. her proud. Mm. Um, my mom's side of the family comes from North Carolina and my dad's side of the family comes from the Bahamas. So as you can see, my backdrop is <laughs> all of the water. <laughs> um, so I will say like most important for me is to why I chose a healthcare career is because I was always good in science and that was always like my passion, my drive. Mm. Um, so, you know, I constantly am always reading about different procedures, processes, and those type of things because science is like a passion. I guess you can call it a hobby as well. Mm. Um, on top of like science and I like to travel a lot. Uh, so usually my goal is to travel to a new country every year whether it be one or two, but that's usually like one of my goals throughout the year. Um, very big on trying to be better about health. So working out at least three or four times out the week is always a goal. Mm. And, you know, dancing, it's always been something I've done since I was a kid. So that's usually another one of my hobbies. And just, you, you mentioned the word travel and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're something called a, a travel nurse. Is that yes. correct? And right. again, that's a new... My, my wife accuses me of knowing everything and she's <laughs> sometimes uh, always an accuser. But so I've never heard this term travel nurse. I mean, bring sh share with us what the difference between a, a registered nurse and a travel nurse. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. OK, so really a registered nurse is the same thing as a travel nurse. Uh, more so with travel nursing is I can take a contract, which can be anything from like four, eight or 13 weeks at a hospital anywhere here in the United States, mm. um, at any of the hospitals throughout the country. Um, depending on if you have a specialty or not, you can work on different units and within the hospital, but sometimes it just works that you take an assignment, you extend for another 13 weeks and another 13 weeks. And if you mm. really, really like it, then you become part of the family at the hospital that you're at. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, and tell us what, what your what your typical work week looks like. And just as you were talking, my mind went back to what Reverend Perry mentioned that as we attract young people to the profession, just that opportunity, because we know that you know, folks like to move around these days, and particularly if you're in your 20s and 30s, that this is this is exciting. But but wherever you might be in a particular hospital, kind of share with us what that what is your typical work work week. Um, what does it what does it look like? Uh, so currently I'm working at Hartford Hospital on a neurotrauma unit. Uh, we can say it's eventful. Uh, some weeks it's not as crazy as others, uh, but this is what they would like to categorize as what we would call like trauma season. Mm. So you get a lot of motor vehicle accidents, a lot of people coming in with strokes. Um, so it's been pretty busy, uh, but a typical day can be anywhere where I have contact with four patients or six, depending on how many of us are staff. Um, but it's basically trying to help these people get back to their baseline as best as we can. Um, yes, yes, yes. There's, you know, Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, there's so many questions that come to mind, but feel free to kind of, kind of jump in as we, as we proceed, because this is just a uh, really, really excited. If I can get a little personal about Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, you and I, the three of us are not, we may be in the seventh or eighth inning, but we're certainly not in the first inning. Uh, in terms of our longevity on the planet. So this issue of health is, is certainly key, key to yeah. us. Uh, uh, but, but no, no immediate questions come to, come to your mind. I just wondered, uh, just maybe elaborate, just maybe a little more of the, because I'm told that you're the 
chair of the Medical Surgical Council of Nursing Professional Governance and the Skin Committee. Correct. Is that like the, the black skin or the Negro skin or the African skin? <laughs> Uh, so skin committee is more so like we check patients when they come in, always when they get admitted to the floor, we're just checking you to make sure you don't have any like uh, bruises any open wounds or things like that. Um, so every Wednesday, if you do have a wound, like we would measure it and document oh. in the computer, uh, that kind of helps our wound team, like the nurses and the prevention team. Um, if you need certain treatments, if you need to be on antibiotics, that kind of helps them know what the steps they need to take. Um, and as far as nursing professional governance, which is also more formally known as nursing or share, share governance, um, it's basically like a council developed by the idea of Tim O'Grady and basically empowers nurses to make decisions on policy and like what we do day to day on nursing care. Uh, we participate in the councils in order to give suggestions about how we can change nursing practice to better fit us. Um, so it's not necessarily like anything dramatic or anything very in detail. Mm -hmm. um, but one project that uh, my group has worked on is something simple as vital signs and setting parameters up so that um, the techs, when they're taking vitals, they know immediately that they need to notify the nurse so we can take the proper steps. If the person may need a different medication, if they might need to be transferred to a different level of care based on vital signs, at least it flags the tech to let them know that they need to notify the nurse and the made it possible that they have to sign off in the computer to say, I notified a nurse and what nurse that they notified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a question. Please. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard recently that there have been outbreaks of Hansen's disease or leprosy is rare, mm -hmm. but okay. people think that, you know, it's, it's so rare that it doesn't exist. But I know that when I was in Waterbury, there were cases at some of the hospitals. I'm just wondering, has... Have you seen any resurgence in that? Not where I'm at currently. They didn't have any. Um, I know like years ago when I was working um, at Yale, they did have like an instance where like, you know, you don't really hear of like mad cow disease or things like that. Um, but they end up having two cases in that situation. Um, but it's more so people have to just be aware, even though it's not prevalent and you don't see it all the time, it doesn't mean that it can't always come back. There's always the mm. possibility of it resurfacing, mm. especially mm. the way uh, the world is now. And a lot of people are anti-vaccines and things like that. Um, it makes it difficult sometimes to not to keep it as suppressed as it has been. And that's usually how things become resurged. Mm -hmm. And, and just, just when you were talking about the uh, chair of the medical surgical council, I'm a, uh, recently a local, local elected official here in New Haven. And so I guess this is a leadership position. I mean, did you have to run for it? How did you get selected? It, it's, a, it's a political position <laughs> from what I hear you saying. Um, so when I first started working, it was more so like, you know, they're very big on, you know, joining committee and being part of something. So I just started off as something as simple as me just joining the committee to participate in I wanted more so to do it just because I was working toward getting what they call like the next step level in nursing, mm -hmm. uh, which would be like a clinical nurse two or a clinical nurse three. Yeah. Um, so that's why I joined more so. And just so happens that the person that recruited me to join ended up leaving and taking a new position. So I kind of got thrown into yeah. <laughs> being the chair of the council more so. I could tell in Reverend Perry's opening remarks about about you, although he wasn't that specific, but I could just feel the the, the pride in his voice, and it's so so clear that, that already in this this conversation of your your being a mover and a shaker. Uh, is it fair to ask you, Jess, about patience and motivation? Is there such a thing of, you know, I go to the hospital, I know I'm sick, but do I still need to be motivated to kind of behave even in the hospital, or or behave even in terms of following directions afterwards? What, or is it is it a fair question for me to ask you about how do you? Should you or how do you motivate your, your patients? Is that a fair question? That's a fair question. Uh, I will say more so, I tell them, I can't be no more of a pusher or motivator than you can for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to first be an advocate for yourself. If you don't want to do it, then it's not going to, no change is going to happen without you wanting to have the ambition to want to change and be better. Mm -hmm. um, everybody gets sick and nobody likes to be sick. But if you want to shorten your time here and don't want to be here for like two weeks, 
and we have to push <laughs> step outside the box and do a little bit more than what we would normally do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Reverend Clayton, any, any thoughts that come to mind? I mean, because this is just such an intriguing, every, every time Jess responds to something, five more questions pop into my mind. I wonder, <laughs> Reverend Clayton, if, if uh, so- something has emerged in your consciousness. This is awesome. Jessica, I, I was just thinking you, you were speaking earlier about being a part of a trauma unit. And uh, as a chaplain, you know, we would meet together in the morning and we would share uh, our troubles to kind of help us through if we saw something that we felt were hard to deal with. How, how does a person like you with this warm personality who seem to care so much for people, how do you deal with trauma day in and day out without stress or hurt? Uh, well, for me, faith is a big thing. So usually uh, when I'm riding to work, it's either it's usually gossiping music or it's like silence when I'm coming, but it's more so like to get that mindset and like decompress before I start the day. And same way when I leave work, I do the same thing. It's just, Sometimes it's just music that kind of like calms my soul, like relaxes me in preparation to going home because I'm big on keeping work and home life separate, which mm-hmm. is in the healthcare field is not always that easy because, mm-hmm. you know, you're caring for patients and you're caring for people. A lot of times the bonds that you build with these patients, you sometimes take their struggles or their emotions home with you. But we have to learn to sometimes separate the two, take that mm-hmm. moment. Sometimes if you have a short ride home, sometimes I may take an extra 25 minutes to drive home instead of mm. the normal short route. It takes me just to take that time to like decompress. Mm-hmm. Jessica, what was the major influence in you going into this field? Was it God, mom, church, some teacher, <laughs> some incident in your life? Um, I guess it's a combo. I could say that uh, when I was very young, I lost both of my grandfathers, one at like six years old and then like one at 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my time spent when I was a kid there was mostly involved in being in the hospital, at least for the last like couple weeks of their lives, because that's where they were. But then like when I started school, like I was always good at science and that was always my thing. So it just kind of worked out in my favor that I stuck with nursing. Um, but as I tell people, nursing was like my second career. I had another job in healthcare before I started nursing. Um, but when I started that, I realized I was like kind of missing that patient interaction. So mm. that's when I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to school and become a nurse. Mm. Were there many Blacks in your nursing class? Uh, there was probably, I want to say maybe 10 of us in my class. Out of how, out of how many? I want to say my graduating class was probably like 55. Is it, excuse me, Jess, is it too soon to ask this question about the, the politics of your field? Um, not to speak for Reverend Perry or Reverend Clayton, but I was hoping prior to Trump that we would, during the Barack administration, that we would, that we you know, would have overcome some issues and not have to have race be so, so much of a uh, political football as it is at the moment. But so I, I just wondered, uh, are there still any issues that, that you have to face as a, as a Black woman, as an articulate Black woman, as a persuasive and impressive Black woman um, in the nursing field? Uh, sometimes it, it comes with the territory, I feel. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we go to school just like a doctor does or a physical, uh, sometimes physical therapy or even a physician assistant. And sometimes they're not always as receptive to our suggestions. Mm. Uh, so sometimes we get a lot of pushback from that. There's not always somebody that looks like you in this profession. So that also sometimes people give you the feeling like you're not enough or not worthy to necessarily always be in the position that you are. And sometimes it's not even coming from somebody above you. It could just be something as simple as a patient can mm. sometimes give you that feeling of racism and as now you know the world that we live in our population is more on the higher end of the age spectrum I'll say it that way 
Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of our patients have grown up in like when Jim Crow was big and racism and segregation was such a big thing. Um, so a lot of our elderly population, you kind of have to just be mindful, like that's the area where they grew up in. So if their cognition's a little off, that that's probably like the last thing that they do remember dealing mm-hmm. with. So a lot of times they can call you racial slurs and things like that, but kind of have to sometimes just develop a tough skin and push through it because you can't, as I said, charge it to my heart, not to my brain. I just, sometimes you have to take that kind of approach when you deal with your patients because their brain's not all there. So don't charge it to that so much. Our silence, Jess, is, please, Reverend Clayton, is what you just said is so, on May 22nd, you know, 2023, so profound challenging, exasperating, sad, but you say it in such an inspirational way. I just wonder, gentlemen, if what, what we can say to Jess to kind of bolster that commitment that she has. I, I'm not going to ask you just how old you are, but to hear you articulate that is just, I'm a little spellbound at the moment. Well, I think, you know, she is, she shows a lot of maturity mm-hmm. and you can hear that uh, and see that. I, I, it may be from generations of family members who have passed this on to her. And, and I wish more, more, more clinicians would have that kind of patient mm-hmm. um, and uh, participation with their patients, you know, the kind of camaraderie and understanding and compassion that, you know, you're in a profession to help. And, you know, it can, you can easily get your ego hurt, but she's not, thin skin. That's mm-hmm. good. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, coming up in the black church, I think that probably gave her some um, some hidden strengths and skills because anybody who can survive the black church and the drama that goes on from Sunday to Sunday, or, um, you know, and yet still remain a Christian, <laughs> still be a nurse, <laughs> still be kind and loving mm-hmm. is, is a phenomenon in itself mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. i you know I, I i again i just tip my hat to you and you know i wish there were more young people but see you you know the other thing i noticed about you you do have a maturity that i don't see with a lot of young people and so i guess i keep probing at you to find out what these what you what your secrets are yes. that <laughs> give you this inner strength and calmness and composure and insightfulness because I know it's not by osmosis. I know you didn't learn it in, in, in medical school where you were 10 out of a class of 50. <laughs> <laughs> that, that there had to be something that you brought to, to that session. And I guess in, in the back of my mind is the question of, you're, you're, you could be anything. You could be, you could be a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. You could be anything. You, you're good in science. You're, you're, you're intelligent. You're young, gifted, and Black. Is this the end of your end of your journey, or do you have aspirations for something else? Hey, is there a meeting in progress? Is this a family? <laughs> Sorry, somebody of course knocked on my door. I'm coming in. <laughs> um, so I would say no. This is not the end for me per se. Um, I'm currently going to school right now to get my master's in nursing. Uh, to become a nurse practitioner, family nurse practitioner. Maybe a doctorate will be on the way. Not 100% sure yet, but that's where I'm stopping right now. <laughs> uh, but I love the field, so school is always important to me. And, and if, if I might, I think, as Reverend Perry was indicating, that you're, we don't see you to be stopping. We, we don't see you to be stopping. We see you to be ever unfolding. And... Given the my my history on the planet thus far, and and I don't want to speak for Reverend Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, but given their histories on the planet of just seeing organizations malfunction, the lack of functionality in organizations, to have an, an administrator, you are you come across as a, a profound administer and to administer things, to manage things, to the process that skill set is is germane to every product on the planet at the moment, the ability to get people to work together, compassionate, to organize things and to keep people on task. 
And also, you know, we hear this term leadership, which is just a word, but it, it's not really manifested as much as we like. We don't really see it as much. And so true, authentic tra and transparent leadership is a key, a key is a gift wherever it might've come from. So we, so we guess I really, am kind of excited uh, about, about your, as you move to your next steps and not to, every, we can just see doors continuing to be open um, and anything we can do to support uh, would, would be great. For, on terms of Reverend Perry's comment, in terms of young people, what would you say to some young people? Um, because I'm sure some of your, your cohort may not be as aspirational might have you might have perceived them to, to be encountering some blocks thus far or or dormant or just stuck in possibly possibly even negative behaviors but, but what would you say to some of your friends your i'm not sure if you're in a sorority or or that kind of thing um but but some of your friends that you might have gone to high school with or or uh, elementary school with what, what 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 would you like to say to them to encourage them um number one surround yourself with like-minded people uh, sometimes you might need the push, but if you don't have somebody that's on the same mindset or I don't want to say level, but level of mindset with you, that can be a deterrent from your trajectory. Mm -hmm. uh, always be willing to learn. Mm -hmm. None of us know everything. So there's always a moment or take every opportunity as a learning moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, we all have education. We get education from many different walks of life, whether it be strictly school or just from walking around and meeting people. I learn something new usually every day for my patients because they always teach me something I may have never known before. Uh, and don't let your haters be the reason why you don't keep pushing forward. Mm. There's always going to be somebody that has something negative to say about what you're doing in life. But don't let that detract you from where God is destined you to go. Everybody mm. has a roadblock. You're going to fall down a bunch of times before you do get up. Mm -hmm. But don't let that be a reason why you can't go to the next step or move forward. For every step you take, you might have to take five steps back. But that doesn't mean that you won't reach the finish line at some point. I personally myself have fallen back, you know, just because you might not get the grade you want on a test doesn't mean that that's the end of the world. Mm -hmm. You may fail a course, but that doesn't mean you can't repeat it. There could sometimes just be barriers in the way, but we have to learn how to overcome those barriers and not use them as a crutch as the reason why we can't go forward. And did I hear you say, not to put words in your mouth, that you've been called the N-word on the job? I have. Did I hear you say that you've been called the N-word on the job? Yes, I have. Did I hear you say that you've been called the N-word <laughs> more than once on the job by a patient? Yes. And so what does the healthcare system do in that regard in terms of, we have these, uh, there are rules about creating a hostile environment and certainly it applies to the hospitals a little differently. Uh, but I wonder from a regula regulation standpoint, your human resource department, who do you go to? Do you go to the nurse on the floor? What's the system involved? Because this dynamic of this social, economic, political dynamic, uh, when people are under, are under stress uh, and, and leashing out, and even if you're old and sick, your, your trauma, past experiences, as you've kind of alluded to, kind of emerge, and they may not be initially conscious of it. But I just wonder from a process standpoint, how do you handle such, how's a situation like that handled? Um, so most likely I would go to like the charge nurse or what they would call the resource nurse here. And then they take the authority to go above and talk to the assistant manager, the manager. Um, and if it's more so, of, there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to like the floor I'm currently work, working on this a neurotrauma unit. So there's a lot of moving back and forth between ICU and a regular floor or a step down in between. Mm -hmm. um, so usually like, I don't want to say they flag the patient, but sometimes it's just um, we get we make it a team effort. So mm. it'll be the unit, the nurses on the unit, the PCAs, the nurse manager, the assistant nurse manager. Um, sometimes they have like a director over like neuro. They have a director. They get involved. Um, we may make a process and symptoms. We may add psych, the psych department into it. and 
usually they have what they call a behavioral plan that we can put together for the patient. Mm. And what that would be is like, it would kind of give steps as to if this is what happens, then these things are going to take place. And it's more so for protection, not only for us as nurses, but it's also protection for the patient because nobody wants them to have any retaliation either way. Mm -hmm. So if we have a behavioral plan, we go with the patient over it. Um, If they're not necessarily cognitively intact, then we usually can include the family members in it as well. And they kind of like signs, kind of like a verbal contract as well as we can have like a written contract where we can put things in place. And is it certain that I said that may have triggered? Because usually family members are, if they're involved or if they're a caretaker, they're involved with the patient's care. They Mm -hmm. usually will know if there's like something I may say that could have triggered that. And it might not necessarily be them seeing me, it's more of, I might have said, a word that triggered them and brought them back to that place. So it's more so just finding that common ground, but also having the support from upper management that's kind of helps me make it not so bad all the time. Thanks. Tom, may I? Uh, please, Reverend Clayton, please. Here, another question. When uh, we had a conversation prior to this meeting, um, I had missed lunch and I had uh, a devil dog. And this mm-hmm. nurse chastised me for eating one devil dog. Yes. And I, my response was, what does she eat? And, or do you eat cupcakes, et cetera? <clears throat> and she explained to me that she, she ate one cupcake and, and whatever. But it, it came back to um, being uh, conscious of what we're eating. And I want her to share the importance mm. of healthy eating and exercise mm. with mm. all. Absolutely. Absolutely. From a nurse's perspective. <laughs> well, we all know, like, when it comes to our culture, uh, yeah. sugar and salt are very big. Seasoning in things that we eat is constantly in our, you know, in the African-American even in the Hispanic culture, that's big on what the food that we normally eat. So I try to be mindful of that. It cut as much of my salt intake down and the sweets down uh, because even though they always don't say that it's genetics, I feel like it always runs in the family. Diabetes always runs in our generations and then so does hypertension. So the best way to combat those things is by diet and exercise. Mm. A lot of times you, we can be resistant. I'll say that <laughs> our culture can be very stubborn. So if you hit them with, you need to stop eating this, this, and this, they're a little bit more resistant to changing their diet. Um, usually when I have a patient, I'll print out, you know, we have education plant list where it has a diet that's listed, but sometimes it might be me just picking two or three things for them to change in their diet, then going you need to stop eating all of this altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's more so people are just not consciously aware with some of the things that they eat and how much salt it has. Um, I always tell people that food is always your number one go-to, then that's usually what's going to cause your blood pressure to be sky high all the time because it does have a lot of salt. Stay away from the canned foods because that definitely is a preservative. So automatically salt is the number one thing that's in anything that's frozen or that's canned. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to diet, that's one of the big things. And um, exercise, I usually say make it fun. If you have family, friends, uh, people that you're close to, make it a group effort. Everybody doesn't like to work out, so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to the gym every day, twice a day, multiple times a day. Simple things like just taking a walk for 30 minutes. Um, my mom's big on every morning she gets up, she'll eat her breakfast. She'll take her meds, she'll have her coffee, and then by 10 o'clock, she's at the mall and she'll walk the mall the whole time. If it's cold outside, if it's warm outside, then she'll go walk on the track or walk in the park. Something simple as that. Um, I'm big on if there are community serve like community resources out there where like I know for like 55 and up or say get 60 up, they do silver sneakers. So that's like mm-hmm. a group where they can go and they work out together. There was like during the pandemic, they made like 
video so like they can log on to like a platform like zoom like this and they can work together doing low pack low impact exercises with light weights and things like that but when it comes to exercise don't think about it as i'm doing this because i need it for my health it's more so i want to prolong my life and keep mm. living as long as i can but mm. if i do it with somebody that's the same age as me or even with like grandkids or whatever it's something that we can make a family activity and make it fun Excellent. Excellent. All right. Reverend Perry, I see your, your, your synapses moving as always and your, 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 your brain thought. Well, see, I, the thing that I think uh, people would probably also be helpful for us to note is that going to school costs money. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know if there are scholarships that are really available for us or for nursing or for the medical community. But just knowing that you got student loans <laughs> and that, uh, you know, they got to be paid back. So I, I tell my daughter, stay in school until somebody makes a decision to cancel your student loans because daddy can't pay for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is that expensive, this pathway toward nursing? Um, it depends on the route you take. Mm. Uh, I would say that, but there are a lot of scholarships out there. I'm very big, you know, social media is a big thing. So I'm a big advocate when talking to like high school students or even somebody who's currently enrolled in college. You know, I follow all these different people, but they're like nurses, some are nurse practitioners, some are doctors, but they give a lot of information. Um, they also, a lot of them have their own like nonprofit organizations. So I know there's like one that just celebrated their one year of being live. It's called Doctors of Nursing. They're, they are basically all DMPs of color. So they're all nurses who have gotten either a PhD or a doctorate of nursing. And they basically, they had a summit. There's a lot of summits like that. So I encourage a lot of the students to go to those type of things like um, Black Nurses Association. They're everywhere. You can go to any state and find one. Show up to a chapter meeting if you want to, like, just get the information. Um, they also offer scholarships as well as um, there's a Black Nurses Meet, which is another organization where, you know, they do a summit in D.C. because that's where their base is in Washington, D.C. So they have a huge summit that they have at the end of July, and they have a huge turnout most of the time. But I, I mean, it can be affordable, it can be expensive, but it more so depends on the pathway you take. And if you can avoid student loans, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's really helpful. Uh, Jess, in terms of the, the rewards, I mean, you've talked about some of really with, with such a profound articulation of the challenges, but I was wondering also that there are some rewards I would presume of being a nurse and, and in on that pathway. So for, for you, what are some of the... Uh, some of the, if not some of the tangible, some of the intangibles of, of this journey that you've pursued? Uh, sometimes it's just as simple as recognition from a patient. Um, I had a patient that wasn't expecting to necessarily be admitted to the hospital. She was here visiting family and ended up having like um, some migraine issues and ended up finding out she had some other things going on. Mm. But it's the simple things like, you know, I just sat and talked with her and made her feel like, your family. And it's just, and she wrote me like this very nice note and sent it to the manager of the floor just to say, you know, I really appreciate she took the time to listen. She took the time to sit with me and made me feel like I wasn't by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a shortage of nurses. And so as, as the demand gets greater, it seems to me that the salaries and, and, um, uh, opportunities for black nurses is really going to skyrocket. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a shortage of teachers now. Mm -hmm. Who never thought that. And so with that, with this shortage, it just seems to me that the door of opportunity is really opening. Um, with you, Jess, let me ask you a question. For like for Reverend Clayton and myself, our choice of being in the, in the profession that we were, that we are in comes to what we call a calling. You know, it's like God reduced the multiplicities of our possibilities to a single one. Hmm. 
you said earlier you could have been something else. You could have done something else. So do you feel that your being in this field is like a calling? Like it's something that you just you could have done anything else, and here you are. <laughs> you know, just curious to know how did that happen? I would say it's probably a calling more than it was. Oh, I'm going to make tons of money being a nurse, and that's why we. <laughs> Um, I guess it's more so like the stories that your patients tell you. A lot of them can say, will tell you, you know, if you're a good nurse or not, because they're very, some of them can be very blunt and tell you. Yeah. But I had one that told me, she's like, this is your call. Mm. And how it tells about how you interact with me and I've seen you interact with other people. Mm. She's like, the nurse I had last night, this is more so I feel like it wasn't her calling. <laughs> <He's just doing laughs> <it. laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> but for me, it was a calling. Um, it more so depends because, yes, you have the title of nurse, but nurses can be very multifaceted. Sometimes it's just as simple as in a day, I could be a therapist, I could be a physical therapist, I could be just a listening ear. It depends on the day. But if you're, if I always tell people, if you feel like it's a calling or if you feel like it's tugging at your heart, then go for it. Mm. Don't shy away from it because somebody mm. may have a negative story about their journey to get here. It doesn't mean that it's not right for you. Mm. So speaking of that, that calling uh, on our profession and on yours, I had a surgery about 10 years ago. And uh, I was operated on, I think it was a Monday, and scheduled to leave on Tuesday. I mean, the nurses were so important through that process. And, um, but in order for me to be discharged, they had to remove this draining tube, I guess what you call it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the morning, the, the next morning, the nurse said, well, the doctor will be in, uh, in a little while to remove the tube. And the doctor came by and said, Clayton, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I said, when are you going to take this tube out so I can go home? He said, I'll be back in a little while. He left. And then a, an intern came in, and he looked at it, and he left. And the nurse kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> so sorry. And, 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 and at the end of the day, the nurse, this nurse, I don't know what level of nurse she was. I don't remember that. But she was the one that took this tube out. It was kind of painful, and but she kept saying, I'm so sorry. And every every tug, you know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, I, but she made me feel like I was the only patient mm. in that hospital. Mm. And, and I, I and, and in that particular case, I really felt that she was called to this work. You know, because she could have been upset because she was probably doing something that the doctor should have done. I don't know if you experienced anything like that or not, but just we just I shared mm. that because of the importance of your your work. Yes, yes. I mean, it does. It comes. I want to say it comes with territory, but yes, it does happen sometimes that we might have to do something that the doctor said he's supposed to do, but we might have to step in and do it because you know, at the end of the day, you don't want a patient to have to be here longer than they really have to. So it might just be as simple as. I'm like, I'm going to go find him and be like, hey, so are you going to take this out or not? Because he's waiting and that's literally the only thing that's keeping him here. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's like, oh, you can go. Okay, I'll go do it and we'll be done. <laughs> and another nurse says he didn't want to do it because he knew that it was going to be a painful thing for you. And so he didn't want to be the bad guy. So he's going to make her the bad guy. So. That's, that could be true. But I'm usually like, I'm very honest with my patients. If it's going to hurt, I'm like, it's going to hurt. Not going to lie to you and tell you that it's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> same, thing, same thing when it comes to medication. I was like, I've never taken this personally, but from other people I have given it to, it's nasty. I'm going to let you know right up top, it's nasty. We, we have about uh, four or five more minutes. So things got to cross your mind and just to, uh, you know, ma maximize this really blessed communion with Jess. Please, Reverend Perry. It just when you were growing up, did you did you take the standard medications, home medications, um, castor oil, 
Father John. (laughs) (laughs) I would say my mom didn't make us take that stuff. Grandma's a different story. Ah, Vic (laughs) said. Yeah, her house and something was wrong. We're going to take it. It's not really an option. Yeah. So in terms of folk medicine, and and so when you're dealing with people now, like (laughs) Ma, and is it hard for you to kind of like tell them, Ma, this doesn't work. We really have progressed to, because now you have the science how do you reach the people who are not at your level with the science and understanding about sugar diabetes and they call it sugar and you're saying it's diabetes and they need to exercise and how do you work with a community that may have its cultural limits in terms of the science of where you are now but you want to help them mm-hmm. is there any <laughs> advice or how do you work with that um usually i say meet the people where they are so sometimes it's more so about the compromise. So I may say, okay, she calls it sugar diabetes, or I just call it that because that's what they're used to. And it makes it easier for them to have a better understanding of what it is and what they shouldn't do. Um, sometimes it's more, some people are visual, it depends on how they learn. So sometimes if they're a visual learner, I like to, like, I'll grab a couple packs of sugars and pour it into a cup or something like that. And I was like, well, if you're going to eat this, this is how much sugar is in this. And this is why your sugars is 400 when it should be like 180. So if you're going to keep eating this, then this is going to happen. Oh, that's Lord. why this will never get back. And you're going to be on this medication for a lifetime instead of being on it for a couple of months and getting regulated. Sometimes you just have to show them. I'll say show them what they're eating because they don't necessarily have the perception of what it is that they're eating or what is it that they're doing that could be detrimental to their health. Um, That's a big thing. Diet is always hard to manage. Nobody likes to diet. So I usually don't use that word. I usually say, you know, we got to make a couple changes to the way we're eating. Um, They're big on calling it lifestyle change. So I use that term more often than I'll say diet. Did you have resistance to people about the COVID vaccine within your community or that you know of? Mm, yes and no. Um, so working in the hospital, it was more so people that work here, which are surprised to even know like some nurses that work in healthcare were even resistant to getting it. But I'm also like, in the same token, I'm very vivid when I would give stories of what it's like working in a COVID situation. Um, nobody likes to be the last person a patient talks to and not their family. I'm the last person that a patient mm. may have saw before mm. they passed on. Mm. And it's more so just giving them that comfort, but you have to, if it's a choice, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you don't, but I'm like, you have to look at your surroundings and who you're dealing with and who are the people you're around because Remember, if somebody just had a baby and you end up having COVID, you don't want to pass that to your child or your grandchild just because you're out hanging out with everybody and you never know who somebody had contact with before they came in contact with you. And that's usually the quickest way it spreads because you're not vaccinated. So if I touch a door handle, the person behind me touches the door handle and the person behind them touches it and I'm patient zero because I had it and didn't know I had it. Now I've passed it along to three people behind me and they can go home if they're say a family of 10, maybe five out of the 10 end up getting in and the rest of them don't. But I'm more so just give it, all you can do is give the information about the benefits of being vaccinated and you kind of give everybody else the choice. You know, let me just say this last thing because it's so profound what you just said. Is that indeed. People could not go in to see going to the hospital to visit their loved ones and the last person that they would see would be the person who is handling their health care before they die. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I mean, that that's just awesome. I, it's just mind blowing just to think about that, that you might've been the last person that grandma, mama, or somebody's sister or brother who couldn't get in, but you were with them to give them the last minute of comfort uh, or care is uh, you could write a book on that. I'll be your agent. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We have, we have about 10 more minutes, 10 more seconds. And Jess, definitely, definitely you should write the book. And definitely you've brought 
I, I think I'm speaking for Reverend Clayton and Reverend Perry that you've brought comfort. You've brought comfort to me this morning. I just really want to appreciate, and I'm sure our listeners have felt the same way. Uh, just, uh, just like I can, I can give you tw- 20 seconds and Harry's going to play the music and we're out. Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity. It's a great platform. I will say, you know, health is wealth. So mm. if you need a little push, I'm always here to give the push that you need. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. Thank you. This is Harry As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'm on roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah hey. Yeah, this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go Way too long, we faced them storms, now you gon' face the dawn, you waiting for I said from night to dawn, I write my wrongs alone In competition with warnings, ice galore Now I'm running toward that being a quitter, but little, little by little, they joking, telling some riddles. Now I'm in my section, ain't willing to give up. Know you getting knocked down, but you gotta get up. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah.